Hey, how are we? Good to be with you, uh, Chapel Lane. Uh, love for you to join with me as uh, we pray. Well, God, thank you uh, for the day you've given us. Thank you for this time we've had together tonight to uh, serve one another, enjoy each other's company, praise you. And we ask now that as we hear you speak in your word, that by the power of your mighty spirit, uh, we would be changed. That we would uh, love Jesus more and love to serve others more. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, uh, Chapel Lane, we're in the third week of our series, Risen. And the reason we call the series Risen is that Jesus is risen. Amen. Amen. Jesus is alive today. The same Jesus who died and rose from the dead is the same Jesus who rules the universe. The same Jesus who walks with us by his spirit every day. And so in this series, we're trying to push out, we're trying to explore what it looks like for us to walk with Jesus every day. And over last, uh, last week and the next couple of weeks, we've chosen a couple of examples to kind of develop that with. And so last week was work, and this week it is friendship. And as we talk about friendship tonight, I want to ask you perhaps what do you think might be an image of life in Sydney? Um, and so perhaps you might, your mind might go to this. Uh, we're stressed, right? In Sydney, there's a lot on our minds. We've got a lot to think about. Um, or maybe your mind goes to this. Uh, sport. Uh, we love our weekend sport in uh, Sydney. Or maybe this. Houses everywhere, new suburbs opening up, housing prices are going up, building boom. Maybe those are the things your mind goes to. Uh, how about this one? Of course, our roads are clogged, aren't they? We, we all know that. But the reason I, I chose that image is Life in Sydney is a bit like a traffic jam. We're all packed into this thriving city, lots of people around us, and yet we're so disconnected from one another. It's like being in a traffic jam, you know, where you could, could almost reach out and tap on the window of the car next to you. I mean, that would be weird, but um, uh, you could do it. And yet we're so, we're so close, and yet we're in our little bubble. We're disconnected from each other, isolated from each other. I, I heard a study that said that uh, you are far more likely to feel lonely living in an apartment block in a large, thriving city than you are living in a small country town. It doesn't surprise us, right? And yet, it doesn't seem right. Like people all around us, and yet you can be so lonely. So maybe it's just a product of modern city life, and we kind of just need to deal with that and get over it and move on. Except there's something that tells us that we can't do that, that we shouldn't do that. And it's this. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God created humans, male and female, for relationship, for community, for friendship. God is a deeply, intensely relational God. So at the heart of the universe, at the core of life, is a relational God. And He made us in His image for relationship and friendship. And so Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that great, isn't it? Like you can have lots of people you know, lots of acquaintances, and yet it's possible to have a friend who sticks closer than a brother or sister. And sometimes as we look back over our lives, it's actually been friends who've really stuck with us, maybe more than family. Friends who've been with, there with us all along. And so Proverbs uh, 27 verse 9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. It's been the words of our friends, their kindness, their deep advice that's been so helpful. Even when they've rebuked us and challenged us and pushed us. 
So Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's possible to have a friend who is closer, sticks closer than a brother. So if you long for more friends, it's not that there's something wrong with you or that you're being needy or immature. No, it's a God-given desire. God created us for that. So that aching, that longing for more friends is a good God-given desire. And I was reading a blog uh, last week that said that with the increasing mess and instability of modern life, things like the family unit is less stable and people's working life is kind of more fragmented. There are more people doing project work or casual part-time work or working from home. With all that instability and mess, people actually looking to friends as a kind of way to survive. And so the idea of having a BFF, a best friend forever, or a bestie, is really appealing. And so the, the blog went on to say, in fact, the world's model BFF is, by all accounts, a functional saviour, which means someone who rescues you from the instability and trials of life, someone with whom and to whom you belong, who is committed to you forever, the BFF. And yet, here's the problem with that. Here's why that doesn't work. We're broken sinners, living in a broken, sinful world full of other broken sinners. And friendship actually requires us to be vulnerable, to be open, to trust. And that's hard. You know, one of the things that uh, our community group leaders, your community group leaders, your discipleship community group leaders say is the hardest thing about leading is getting us to open up. To, to share our lives with one another, to be vulnerable. And, and that's no surprise, is it? Because we're afraid of looking weak and needy. Perhaps we've been hurt by friends in the past, and so it's hard to trust again. And so it seems better, it seems easier to have these kind of easy, but ultimately shallow friendships, not real friendships. I remember a previous church I was at, there was a, a young worker, uh, Rob was his name, and he kind of announced one day that he was going on holidays to the United States, and he was going there to meet his best friend. He said, meet your best friend? Like, don't you know, that's how your best friends, don't you already know each other? He said, oh, well, we kind of know each other. We, we met online through a gaming forum and, and chat room, and, and that's how we became best friends. And my first reaction was like, okay, well, everyone's different. Like, if that works for you, then great. But as I thought about it more, I felt very sad for him. It, it seemed a little bit tragic because he'd grown up in a big family. He's living in a thriving city with lots of work colleagues and a member of a thriving, large church. And yet he says he has no friends. No friends. And his best friend is on the other side of the world who he's never actually met felt very sad for him. There's something tragic about that. And so all that to say, when we talk about friendship, we, we can't be simplistic and naive about it. We can't fall into the trap of saying, look, just join a church, become a Christian, and you'll have lots and lots of friends. It's all easy. Because I know some of you are committed members here, and yet you're lonely, both couples and singles. You're lonely. You would say, I actually don't have any really good friends at Chapel Lane. How can that be? What's Chapel Lane doing to make sure people have friends? It doesn't work like that, does it? 
It's not that simple. Because here's the thing, real friendship kind of sneaks up on you. Because if you look through your Bibles, there's not a chapter on friendship. You know, here's the chapter, chapter 4, and, and, and it's got all five steps to get really good friends. That, that's not what happens. It sneaks up on you. So, so we can't demand friendship. We can't sort of sit back and say, give me friends. I want friends. And we can't manufacture friendship. We can't say, look, everyone needs to get into friendship groups. So everyone's got a friend. It doesn't work like that. Real friendship sneaks up on you. And that's what we saw in Philippians chapter 2 before. Did you notice this great friendship between Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus? Look at the way that uh, Paul talks about their friendship. Um, So he says in verse 20 of uh, Philippians 2, great to have that open in front of you. He says of Timothy, I have no one else like him. No one else like him. And then verse 22, it's like a son and a father together. Uh, Verse 25, he talks about Epaphroditus, says he's, brother and co-worker and fellow soldier um, and then down in verse 29 he says we should honor people like him can you imagine having a friend like that where you say he's like a brother like a, a fellow soldier we're, we're a band of brothers together i have no one else like him or her it's like a father and a son a mother and a daughter we, we should honor people like him her can you imagine having a friend where you spoke about them like that? But here's the thing to notice about this friendship in Philippians 2. Paul isn't really talking about the friendship, is he? Like He doesn't say, hey, let me write a chapter to tell you all about our great friendship. No, he talks about how they were able to serve others. How they were able to serve others. So have a look again at verse 20. Paul says, I have no one else like him who looks after me and listens to me and cares. No, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for whose welfare? For Paul's welfare? No, for their welfare, the Philippians' welfare. No one else like him. And then uh, when he, he says, verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And when Paul talks about Epaphroditus, who sent aid, brought aid to Paul when the Philippians weren't able to. He says in verse uh, 28, uh, because he's so helpful, I want to keep him with me. No, therefore I'm more, all the more eager, excited to send him so that you, when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. See, the friendship is about serving others. They're not a tight little clique who, who love to get together and do their in-jokes and talk about how their friendship is wonderful. Their, their friendship is about serving others. It's not about them. This is the uh, insight that the Christian author C.S. Lewis had in his book, uh, The Four Loves. Um, and as I read this, uh, there was one of those aha moments, you know, when something you see something for the first time, a, a light bulb goes on. And C.S. Lewis says uh, in the chapter on uh, friendship, he says, People who simply want friends, like just want friends, uh, never find them because the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else beside friends. So if we go through life saying, I-, I want friends, I want friends, I want friends, we never find friends because those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Now that sounds a bit firm, doesn't it? Especially if you're lonely and you're looking for friendship. And so he might say, oh, is C.S. Lewis saying there's something wrong with me, that I'm not going anywhere? And that's not what he's saying. 
He's saying that friendship is always about something other than just being friends, something bigger than just being friends. See, friends don't do life kind of looking at each other in the eye and saying, let's talk about our friendship. Isn't it great? Friends do life side by side with their eyes going forward as they head somewhere together. I remember someone gave this great example of it's kind of like, say you went to the art gallery. Um, I know that's a bit of a stretch for some of us, never darkened an art gallery, but imagine you went to an art gallery and, uh, and, and you, there's lots of paintings there, didn't enjoy heaps, but there's one that really caught your eye and you just had to stop and look at it for a while. And you were noticing, you know, this is really clever and I like that and it takes me to a happy place or something. And, and all these other people are walking past, not really noticing it. But then you notice that someone else had stopped and was looking at the painting as well. And they're staring as well. And, and you kind of want to say, oh, you, you see it too. You, you see it too as well. That's the beginning, possibly, of a friendship. There's something that you share together that's outside of you other than just being friends. And that's why we can't demand friendship. We can't manufacture friendship because it's always about something bigger than just having friends. We discover friendship. It sneaks up on us as we get on with life and we find someone else who shares a passion and a joy and a, a pleasure in something that we share as well, something bigger than us. Okay, so question is then, how can I have friendship sneak up on me? How can I be like Timothy? Well, so I get on a lot of rosters at Chapel Lane. Do lots of stuff and then I'll have lots of friends around me. No, it doesn't work like that. We, we need to kind of push down and dig into what's going on in Timothy's heart for him to arrive at this place. And so have a look again at uh, chapter 2, verses 20, 21 with me. Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, if we knew the book of Philippians really well, that last little bit, uh, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, would sound familiar. We'd be like, haven't we heard that somewhere before? And we'd be right. Beginning of chapter 2. So come back to beginning of chapter 2 with me. And the familiar bit comes a few verses in, but we've got to read the flow. So stick with it. Verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, of any common sharing in the Spirit, of any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And here's the familiar bit. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of the others. See how it's so similar to verse 21? What Timothy is doing in his life is he's living out that command, that encouragement from Paul. That's what he's doing. So, so how can I be like that? How do, how do I get there? Well, we've got to keep reading because he tells us straight away where that comes from. Verse 5, In your relationships, in your friendships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was he like? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You just love that. You read that. Don't you? you can't help but marvel at Jesus, be in awe of Jesus. You see that? I mean, verse 7, um, but verse 6 equal with God. He's God the Son, and yet he doesn't use that to his own advantage, for his own benefit, but comes and serves us and loves us, and so much so that he gives his life for us, so that everyone would acknowledge in the end that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't act out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but he acted out of humility and love and service for us. So Gandhi, uh, the great Indian prophet, leader, philosopher he said this of jesus the example of jesus suffering is a factor in the composition of my undying faith in non-violence what then does jesus mean to me to me he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had quite interesting isn't it i mean it's quite respectful jesus is an example of sacrifice and suffering and a great teacher kind of captures jesus no <laughs> for his well-meaning respect Gandhi's completely missed the point of Jesus, who Jesus was. The the good news of Jesus isn't that he gave us a model to follow. It's that he gave us himself. Do you see the difference? It's not that he gave us a model to follow, but he gave us himself. Jesus looked not to his own interest, but to our desperate need for forgiveness and salvation. And when that captures you, fills your heart, when you deeply grab that Jesus died and rose to rescue you, to free you from sin and death, when Jesus is your good and gracious King, when he fills you with his spirit, then verse 3, you will do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, you will value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then you'll discover other people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, who have that same passion, that same joy, and you'll share that together, and friendship will keep sneaking up on you in that. What we need, Chapel Lane, is we need the head, heart, and hands of Christian friendship. The head, we know that Jesus is our risen King. The heart, we love that Jesus is our risen King. The hands, we want to serve Jesus together. We need the head, heart, and hands. We need all three, because sometimes what will happen is we get the head and the hearts, and so we kind of passively, privately, quietly think and feel about Jesus, but we don't do much. And then sometimes we've just got the hands, and, and so we're really busy and active and worn out and tired, but there's not a lot of joy and not a lot of friendship. We need head, heart, and hands, that we know that Jesus is our King, we love that Jesus is our King, and we want to serve Him together. Now, it's just possible that some of you might be thinking, well, it's easy for you pastors because it's kind of your job to do this. So it's easy for you to do this. I say it's possible because this culture of Chapel Lane is not to kind of lob grenades at the staff from a distance and kind of snipe away. Like, it's a complete opposite. Staff here feel very loved and respected and, and cared for. But it's, it's, there's a slight possibility that you might be thinking it's easy for you pastors. Or, or you might be thinking, this whole friendship thing we've been talking about tonight, it sounds very activity-driven, very project-driven. Where's the nurturing 
the caring, the listening of friendship. So I want to tell you about something that happened uh, when I was at Moore Theological College, which is the Bible College for Training Anglican Ministers in Sydney. So when I went into first year, our year was the biggest year that the college had ever had up to that point. There was over 100 men and women training for some kind of pastoral ministry. And so a big year, lots of people. Uh, we got about a term into our first year, and then some people in our year said, we need to have a, a, a year meeting. Um, we need to get everyone together in one room to talk about something. And they said, because there's a bunch of people in our year who are not feeling cared for. They're feeling a bit lonely, like they don't have friends. I thought, well, that sounds pretty serious. I mean, a whole bunch of Christians studying together, and that's happening, that, that's not good. So that's an important meeting. So we got in the room, and, and they said, well, what's some, people throw out some suggestions for how to fix this. And, and what followed was the strange, one of the strangest meetings I've ever been in. Because a whole bunch of hands went up and people said, somebody should do this and somebody should do that and the college should do this and somebody should set up a roster so we don't forget anyone's birthday and somebody should organize more of these meetings. You see what's going on? Somebody, 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 not the person who's putting up their hand, obviously. <laughs> Everyone else should do something. And I remember about 20 minutes into that, I just had a headache. It's like, oh my goodness, I need to go and get a coffee and something sweet because we're going to pastor churches Lord, help us. Can't even sort this out, right? And Lord, help the churches that we're going to pastor. We're just sitting there waiting for friendship to happen, demanding friendship, trying to manufacture it and all feeling very frustrated that it wasn't happening. But the wonderful irony was that friendship snuck up on us as we went out on college mission that year. So we went out in groups of about 20 guys and girls and we went off and served in a church for a week. And it was as we were serving Jesus together, as we were seeing Jesus change lives and seeing people come into his kingdom and rejoice in that, it was as we were sharing that together that we opened up to each other. We shared life together. We listened to each other. We got to know each other. And some of you will know this. It's been those Christian friendships where you have done ministry together, you've been on mission together, you've served together, that, that in that, doing that, it's where the caring and the listening and the sharing and the friendship has grown and developed. Friendship has snuck up on you as you've done that. So the question I think we need to ask, we mustn't ask about Chapel Lane, the question we mustn't ask about Chapel Lane is, is Chapel Lane a friendly place where I can find lots of friends? That's the wrong question to ask the wrong question. The right question to ask is, is Chapel Lane a place where people look not to their own interests, but the interests of others and of Jesus Christ? We need the head, heart, and hands of Christian friendship. That we know that Jesus is our risen King, that He's alive today, serving and leading us. We, we love that. We love that. And we want to serve Him together. And, and as we share that, as we rejoice in that, we'll find that Friendships, rich, deep friendships will just keep sneaking up on us. And we'll discover that we have lots of wonderful friendships. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to praise you as the risen King of the universe. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins in our place and you rose from the dead conquering sin and death. And now you rule us, you lead us, you watch over us. You walk with us by your Spirit. We thank you that you give us this mission to share in and, and you give us this wonderful joy of sharing that with each other and, and building beautiful friendships as we do that. 
We want to confess though, often we are a bit passive about this. We sit back and wait for friendship to happen or we think it's someone else's job to make it happen. So we help us to love serving you together and, and, and in that, please just give us lots of friendships that keep sneaking up on us and that we would give you the praise and thanks for all that. We pray in your beautiful name. Amen.